Hey guys, thanks for joining us again for another episode of Geeky Science on geekyvoyage.com. So sticking with the new premiere shows that are coming out, today I decided to do Orphan Black. Now, if you haven't watched Orphan Black, first of all, what are you guys doing with your lives? <laughs> um, second of all, it premieres, the fifth season premieres tonight. So go back and watch the other four. It's a great show. The, the whole premise of it is that this woman named Sarah goes to a subway station and she sees a woman who looks identical to her kill herself by jumping in front of the train. And chaos ensues from there, basically. Uh, but she eventually finds out that she's a clone. And if you're watching and listening to this, I hope that you've already watched it because there are going to be a lot of spoilers within this. Um, so one of the coolest things about Orphan Black is that they actually have a science advisor and her name is Kasima. And she is uh, who Kasima, the character, was actually based off of. So real Kasima, Kasima Herder, is um, very knowledgeable with all types of cloning science. She knows she's the go-to source for them. And you can really tell, especially as I was doing the rest of this um, research, you can really tell that she uh, knows what she's talking about because the show itself is super scientifically sound. There's no errors that I found within the science of it. So to start off with, let's talk a little bit about that main topic, which is, of course, cloning. Um, so Orphan Black features two sets of clones who are Lita and Castor, and these are actually named after characters in Greek mythology, which is really cool. And one of the characters related is Helen, and one of the clones is Helena. So I think they probably got that from there as well. Um, so just the history of the name is really cool. So we have Lita, which is a group of females, and we only know a few main ones, and then a few that were in Helsinki that are now dead, and, um... Based on what the comics say, they were killed by, um, oh my gosh, I can't think of it, by the main organization of the show. And so, Caster are the boys, and then we also have Charlotte, who is made with the same kind of batch or DNA as Lita, but she is a generation younger. So she is the only one of her generation that actually exists. Um, so the definition of a clone is just a biological copy of an organism. So it's exactly the same as, uh, like cutting and pasting something on your computer. It's, it's an a identical copy of it. Some jellyfish have this cool larval stage where they actually create a bunch of clones. So this does happen occasionally in nature by itself. Another example of this happening in nature, there are these trees called pando trees and it's essentially just a, a shitload of interconnected clones. And so this, even though they look like individual trees, they're actually just clones of each other and they're all interconnected. And so that is really um, interesting. And that's one example of how it happens without human intervention. The first example of artificial twinning, embryo twinning, excuse me, was in 1885. And this was a man named Hans Adolf Edward Dreisch. And all he did was he had, I'm pretty sure it was in a dish, but he basically took two celled embryos from a sea urchin and he shook them and he said, look it, they can separate. And that's exactly how twins are formed. <laughs> and that's how cloning is done as well. And so that's what he did. He just shook it and they separated. And he was the first one to kind of show that that could be done that easily. 
So then in 1902, another man named Hans, apparently if your name is Hans, you should be working in the cloning industry. Uh, Hans Spiemann did artificial twinning with a salamander this time. So this is the first time it was ever done with a vertebrae. What's really awesome about the way that Hans did it was he actually made a tiny little noose out of baby hair. And that's how he separated the two cells. He just made this tiny little noose and then he looked under his microscope and he separated them. He would squeeze it and they would pop apart. So the cloning, the idea of cloning has started as early as 1885, which is crazy to think about. So we have come quite a long way since then. The most notable clone, I'm sure all of you know, and they actually make reference to it in the show, is the sheep named Ollie. And um, MK in the show actually wears a little sheep mask, and it's a reference to Dolly. I think it's kind of clever that she does that, actually. Um, But Dolly was born in 1996, and she was actually the 277th attempt at cloning a sheep. So that is a lot of sheep that died and didn't even come come to be a living being before Dolly was actually created. Dolly also only lived until she was about six, and most sheep actually live until they're more like 10 or 12. So she, it was about half the lifespan of a normal sheep, and it took a really long time to get this first clone created. Uh, since then, so that has been over a decade ago now, since then, we've had a lot of animals that have been cloned. Everything from, so there's been carp and goats and monkeys and all kinds of things have been cloned, but not humans, because it's currently illegal to clone humans. And I think the show handles this well, because all of the cloning that was done is done very secretly. And they have a little bit of military involvement, and then they have, um, it's basically just all very nefarious, I guess. It's all hidden and quietly done. And I think that's probably how, if it's happening now, or if it has happened, that's exactly how it's happening now. Because, again, there are laws in place that say that you can't clone humans right now for whatever reason. I do think those will change in the future. But as of right now, that's not a possibility. The only difference, so twins and clones are pretty much the exact same thing. The only difference is the way that they're created. So a twin happens naturally, obviously. Uh, It just occurs inside of of the mother's womb. But then a clone is created uh, in a lab. And so that's that's really the only difference. And so not only do we have all of the clones, Cosima, Allison, Sarah, Helena, and all of the Helsinki clones, uh, but aside from that, Sarah and Helena are also twins. So this is probably why they are so similar compared to all the other clones. I mean, they're all similar because they share DNA, but... Uh, Sarah and Helena have a really special bond, and this is clear the first time when um, they meet, actually, because it's when Helena is killing off the clones, and she is on top of Sarah, and she's about to kill her, and she says, I'm not Beth! And she says, Helena says something like, uh, see you later, not Beth. But she chooses not to kill her, and that moment is kind of when you realize that those two have a different bond aside from just the clone bond. So not only are they twins, so we have fraternal and identical twins, but there's also this group of twins that don't really have their own category that are called mirror twins. And they mention this with Helena because she, they, when they look at her organs, they're mirrored. And this does happen in real life. Maybe not necessarily with the organs like that, but 
it can happen with birth birthmarks. For instance, one will have one on the right side and one will have an identical one on the left. It can happen with handedness. So one twin is right-handed, one twin is left-handed. Dimples, the way their teeth sit, all kinds of things can happen from being a mirror twin. So that's, I thought that was pretty cool because I didn't actually even know that existed and I thought that was all just fiction when I watched the show. So all of the clones have the same human attributes, like height and things like that. They would also, in theory, have the same diseases, like, for instance, Alzheimer's or something like that. Um, and in one episode, Sarah asked Cosima, well, do you get that little dry patch of skin right here? She probably does, because that kind of stuff is genetically identical. Um, unless it's based on her environment. So that brings us to another point, because if you notice, Cosima wears glasses, the rest of them don't wear glasses. Now this is, they mentioned, I think briefly, this is due to her environment, because she is constantly looking at screens and reading books. So she actually made herself have bad eyesight. Um, another thing that the science is kind of out on is the fingerprint situation. So there's one situation in the show where, um... They find a body, one of the clones, and Sarah is concerned that it's going to trigger a match for her because she has a record in the United States. And since we only have twins, so we can't test clones because human clones don't exist. So what do we test? What's the next best thing would be twins. So we haven't really seen twins have identical fingerprints. So it's possible that the clones all have similar, because they don't say that they're identical in the show. They just say that they may be close enough to trigger a match with, which maybe that's true. Uh, and again, we're all just kind of guessing with that because we don't really have real clones to test right now. So moving on from um, the actual clone situation, they mention, so Duncan actually mentions it specifically to Rachel that they are infertile on purpose. So how did they get that way? Well, through genetic engineering. And this is another topic that is mentioned a lot of times in Orphan Black. And let me just say that there are hours and hours of things that I could talk about in regards to the science of Orphan Black, but for everyone's sanity, I'm just going to touch on a few things at once every time I do this. Um, so genetic engineering is, it's also called um, bioengineering or gene splicing or genetic modification, things like that. The process involves combining DNA from organism A and organism B, and this then creates a recombinant DNA, which means DNA from two different sources. The way they do this process is by using different enzymes. So there's some enzymes that they call restrictive enzymes, and these enzymes act like scissors, and so they cut out chunks of the DNA. And then there's other ones called ligase enzymes, and these work like glue, so they bond it together. So essentially, what they're doing when they create a genetically modified organism is they take DNA from one, one section, they take DNA from another section, and they'll cut out a piece of it, get rid of that from the original, and then they cut out a piece of this one, and then they put those two together, and then they glue it together with ligase enzymes. We actually have genetic modification happening in a lot of places in our normal everyday lives. Food, medicine, animals, all kinds of things have gone through genetic modification. The most common example is a medication called Humulin, which is a um, insulin replacement for people with diabetes. And it's kind of an intricate process, but to, to sum it up, essentially they take a uh, bacteria and they take a chunk out of the bacteria 
And then they modify it by putting human insulin into it. So then they take that that they've modified with the human insulin and throw it back into another bacteria. And since bacteria reproduce really quickly in insane numbers, they just, it happens really fast. And then you have all these bacteria that have human insulin in it. And then you can just extract that from there. And that's what the medication is. And it's called Humulin because it's human insulin that they've created in a lab. The first genetically engineered food was a tomato in 1994. And uh, I think it was called Flavor Saver or something similar to that. But it was created so that it had a longer shelf life than most tomatoes did. And that's pretty common in genetically modified foods. You'll see that they last longer. They might taste different. Uh, there's a lot of different things that you can do with genetic modification towards food. And there's this whole, um, uh, what's it called? Debate. <laughs> that's the word I'm looking for. There's this whole debate about uh if GMOs, genetically modified organisms in food, are actually a positive or negative thing. And this actually goes on to doing it within humans as well, because that all gets a little bit messy. So like I said, the clones are infertile on purpose, but they're now getting really sick. So they didn't really, they couldn't really guess the outcome of that modification. And this is, the clones are 30, are over 30. So now it's been 30 years since they first did this genetic modification. And now they're seeing that it's having these side effects. So that's kind of what would happen in real life. Uh, so, uh, it's kind of scary because genetic engineering used to be really convoluted and expensive and it wasn't really used that often. But now we have something called CRISPR. And CRISPR is a genome editing tool that's really cheap and it's easy to use. It can edit live cells it, and it can work with any type of cell. So it makes this kind of genetic engineering really, really easy to do. Uh, and this could be a slippery slope. It actually also works in tandem with something called Cas9, which is kind of like, you can think of it almost as a little machine that goes along and searches for bad sections of DNA and then chomps it out of there. Uh, so between CRISPR and Cas9, we are really making huge technological advances when it comes to genetic modification. In fact, so CRISPR has been used for a lot of positive things. So they had this study that they did with mice, and the mice had, I think it was something like 100% uh, HIV cells, just filled with HIV cells all over their body. And they use CRISPR to reduce it down to 50%. So they think that this could actually be used in the future to help get rid of HIV altogether. And it could actually even go for other genetic diseases, like maybe cancer could be one of them. Um, you know, Alzheimer's is one I mentioned before. That could be one that you could just completely eliminate. So we have the ability now to kind of quite possibly eradicate these huge diseases that we barely understand and, and have been rampant and killing humans for a long time. So that's a great use for this, right? But then you look at it another way. So if you had the option to have any trait, have your child have any trait that you wanted to, you would probably do it, right? And that's where the moral and ethnic dilemmas come in. Ethic, not ethic. <laughs> ethic dilemmas come in. Uh, because you could start it by saying, oh, well, I see that this kid is going to have 
Um, even something simple as ADHD. Well, let's get rid of it. Well, we know we can get rid of it, so it would kind of be immoral for us to not get rid of it and to let this child be born while it's suffering. Uh, oh, this child tested positive for Down syndrome. Well, let's just modify that. And speaking of, actually, genetic modification also exists in a, in a sense, in a way. I guess it's not really modification so much as just um, genetic choice and control, but almost... Some studies have shown that up to 90% of pregnancies where they find out that the baby had Down syndrome are terminated. So if we had the ability to get rid of those things, we probably would. So I can see why it's a good thing and a positive thing to get rid of disease, but I can also see why it would lead to other problems. Because you could go from, oh, my child has Down syndrome, I want to get rid of this, to, well, why don't I just go ahead and make them extra muscular? Or why don't I make them super intelligent? Or, you know, I have blue eyes. Maybe I would like my child to have blue eyes as well. So then you can see how this would become a huge issue because we're trying to really kind of just create life ourselves. We're trying to control the natural process of life by, by modifying these different things. And not only that, though, but we this could also lead to an immortality of sorts because it could reverse reverse the effects of aging. So something like um, uh, gene modification and then we have um, uh, all these, we just have all these different techniques that we could do that could potentially reverse aging. So what if we live thousands of years and we can choose what we want our children to be like? Well, how, what, effect, what effect is that going to have on humanity that would change our DNA overall? It would make long-term changes to us, and it would change the species as a whole. It would have these monumental effects on our species that we can't even begin to imagine until we start doing this kind of modification, which I do think it will be done in the future. Um, so we do see the same way that babies with Down syndrome are aborted frequently, Brightborn touches on a lot of these issues with morality when it comes to genetic modification because we have the babies that are born that are test subjects, basically. I mean, if you think about it, how else are they going to learn this technology other than testing on humans like this? But the thing about Brightborn is that they don't want any bad news to get out. So they go out of their way to eliminate mistakes. So whereas a baby that was born with, say, a cleft lip or something like that would be fine functioning, Brightborn has other issues because they don't want this to get out in public. Um, so we'll see what happens with genetic modification and where that takes us in the future. So... Helena is one of the main clones, and Helena does something to herself, um, to her back. She slices her back open, and she has giant wing scars. This is called self-mutilation. So what's, what's the deal with that, anyways? What is self-mutilation? What's it all about? Well, Helena often self-mutilates, and she has for a really long time. You can tell because there's scars all along where the cuts are as well. And people do this, unfortunately, in real life. It can be anything from cutting, burning themselves, punching things, really anything that could hurt themselves. And sure, it might seem crazy to someone that has never done it before and doesn't really understand the motivation behind it. But self-mutilation is an externalizing behavior. And this basically means that someone is feeling out of control inside of themselves. They feel overstressed, 
or overwhelmed, strong emotions, and they just want to take care of it and feel in control again. And so they externalize that by injuring themselves. It seems counterproductive, but it's this, a lot of people have this psychological feeling in common where they want to do something like this. Um, now the cutting itself, it hurts. Sure. It does. But at the same time, there's some ideas that maybe bleeding releases endorphins and endorphins make you feel well-being. Endorphins are released when you exercise. And if you've ever exercised really hard, you feel tired afterwards, but most of the time you feel really accomplished. Uh, and, and so the idea is that maybe the bleeding helps release endorphins and helps make people feel better. Uh, it also is an escape in, of sorts because it kind of gets you out of yourself and puts you back into reality. So when Helena does this, you'll notice that it does seem like when she's in times of turmoil, when she's reflecting on things or when she's maybe been through a rough situation. So Helena does seem to use this in the same way that uh, most people who are, are self-interest would use it. The difference with Helena is that she was brainwashed and raised as part of a cult. And I'm not going to talk about that this time, but I am going to, going to talk about that in the future because her cult mentality could have a, a lot to do with uh, the reason that she cuts herself. Oh, and most of the time when people injure themselves like this, they try to hide it. And you do kind of see this with Helena as well, because she's doing it on her back. And unless she's wearing a tank top, which she is in a lot of the time, um, you don't really see it. And it's not really discussed by the other clones. So I don't really, we don't really know how the other clones have received it either. So on top of self-mutilation, which is an issue Orphan Black touch touches on, they also touch on self-mutil, or excuse me, self-modification or biohacking in this case. In a general sense, so, um, body modification is usually tattoos, or some people even get their tongue sliced. Uh, sometimes you get non-biological implants. You can change your eye color. You can do all kinds of things. I saw one where a man had installed a plug, a hole, basically, in the side of his cheek so that you could see inside of his mouth. So those are what you generally think of when you think of body modification, kind of body art and body modification piercings. Those all kind of go in, hand in hand most, most of the time. However, there is this whole different interesting sect of, of biohackers, they call it, uh, that use biology and biotech, or excuse me, biotech to modify their bodies and in a lot of ways improve them, almost like a cyborg in some cases. And you may notice this or remember this from all of the neolutionists that are in Orphan Black. And Dr. Leakey, actually, he was uh, a neolutionist as well. One of the, a couple of the things that biohackers call themselves now are grinders or transhumanists. So a lot of the biohacking that happens happens outside of professional or, um, I guess, well-organized, reputable facilities because there's not a lot of laws surrounding these things and not a lot of people want to be the guinea pigs. And there's one group in particular, I believe they were in Sweden, but there's maybe four or five of them, and they are uh, self-made biohackers. And one of them's a nurse, and he's the one who does all the surgeries, so they will implant things and um, just make all kinds of crazy modifications to themselves. And I am absolutely fascinated with biohacking and have actually taken quite an interest in it myself to the point where I may be considering something that I'll talk about in a second here. So we most of the time when we see biotechnology, it's actually with amputees. 
And the um, bionic limbs that have been created are amazing. They have made such huge leaps and bounds when it comes to the science behind these bionic limbs. I saw one... uh, they're rewiring they're rewiring the brain and the muscles to react with this electronic uh arm or leg and it's really cool when you watch them do it because they hook up all these sensors to the stump and then they program it and then you see the hand the robotic hand next to them will start moving and they just program and program and program and basically they're created they're they're hacking the body is exactly what's happening. And years ago, we only had, in fact, a lot of amputees that don't have a lot of money or prefer not to use the tech side of things will still use the old school one that's just a claw and it comes across the chest and it comes across the back and it's really clunky and it doesn't give them a lot of range of motion. But we're to the point now where bionic arms can almost completely replace and be exactly the same as a real hand. There is a specific surgery that amputees can get that will actually change their, I can't remember in what way it happens, but it actually changes their nerves so that they're more susceptible to the bionic arm as well. And it just, it's amazing. It's, they look like cyborgs and it is so cool that we are giving people back this um, range of motion and this uh, fine motor skill that they completely lost or were maybe never born with. There's also a lot of biotechnology that's used for military purposes, and uh, most notably, I would say, would be that exoskeleton suits may very well exist in the near future. And uh, there's a movie, Elysium. There was a movie called Elysium that just came out, and uh, the main character, Matt Damon's character, gets a exoskeleton in- installed in himself, and it makes him as strong as a droid, uh, which is a, one of the robots in the film. And though this sounds completely unrealistic and made up, it's actually not that far-fetched based on the current technology that we have right now, Uh, which is kind of creepy to think about because you don't really want um, an entire soldier or an entire army of exoskeleton soldiers coming at you. (laughs) Um, Same with clones. If cloning became more efficient, imagine if somebody, uh, imagine if North Korea, for instance, got a hold of cloning technology or genetic modification technology. What if they just genetically modified a bunch of clones to be strong soldiers and created a huge army based off of this? The possibilities are terrifying, interesting, but terrifying and nearly endless. So far, they've created, aside from limbs and military purposes, they've also created artificial organs. Not many of them can be used for a lifetime. They're mostly just a temporary solution. For instance, they made a bionic heart that is pretty much only good for temporary solution. And there's, I think, 10 people right now who are on the wait list for an actual heart donation that have this heart. But it's it's kind of big and clunky at the current time. They have to wear a backpack for it. Um, but, you know, five, 10 years down the road, imagine where we'll be with that. Uh, people, they've also made bionic eyes. There was one man who was kind of one of the first biohackers, you could say, but he's got an antenna installed in the back of his head that uh, creates sound based on the colors that he sees. He was born with 
a rare disease where he can only see in grayscale. And so this antenna comes from the back of his head and goes around. And actually, it can connect to the internet and people can text it. And I think there's only one person on every continent right now that's actually allowed to text that. But he can receive transmissions. It's crazy. And this guy has had this for years now. So it's it's just thinking about what's being created now. If that's already out there, it's it's limitless, really. People have also done things like um, uh, RFID chips, which are, they can be used for a lot of things. They can be used to pay with your credit card at certain at certain um, places. They can be used to, with smart home devices. So turning lights on and off, you could, you know, put it in the back of your hand and then touch it against the light and it would turn off. Uh, you could use it for a ton of different purposes. GPS tracking is another another thing could be used for, which I don't know if that'd be great if the wrong person got their hands on it and you didn't want them to. Um, but they, oh, and one grinder, one of the grinders from that group in Sweden, I, th- I think it was Sweden, he gave himself night vision. He took, I don't remember exactly what it was. It was from another animal that had night vision, but he injected it into his eyes and he had night vision. His eyes looked crazy. They were black and and dark and, but he had night vision and it's so insane that you can do these kinds of things to yourself. The one thing that I've been really interested in and honestly have been thinking about doing myself is that a lot of biohackers start with small magnets inside of their fingers and some of them get it behind their ears. But the idea behind this is that you can almost have a sixth sense. So we don't sense vibra- or magnetic fields as is, but if you have a magnet inside of your body, you will. And they're tiny. They're like the size of a pencil eraser. Um, but it, people have said that they could feel them when they are walking through airport security or one of any of those securities that you walk through with electronics. Um, they can feel when the microwave is on. They can move compasses around with it. It is super cool. It's not not really strong enough for them to... They can kind of pick up small things like pins and needles like that, uh, safety pins and um, paper clips, but they can't really pick up big things. But it's incredible because it just, it says, they say that it gives them a new sense, like a sixth sense. And the people behind their ears think of it as more of kind of an innate, instead of actually having to consciously think about what's happening or what you're sensing, it's kind of innate and it will let you know if there's strong magnetic fields around, which could be connected to a lot of different things. So I am amazed by that and (laughs) I have really been considering getting one of those magnets myself. There was even another woman who just invented these really beautiful looking pieces of jewelry that clasp into different parts of you. And so one of them clasps into your spine. Um, one of them, I remember she had on her eyes between on her at the top of her nose bridge. But what they do is they take our blood and our energy and they, uh, or excuse me, they take our blood and they, they clasp into our spine and they transform it into energy. And this is really eerie and sounds a lot like the matrix, but human bodies create a lot of energy and who knows where we'll be at in the future if we keep going with the energy crisis that we have now. Um, But yeah, someone has actually created these pieces of jewelry that do that. So I think that is probably just the start. And I think we're probably going to be using humans to power things a lot in the future. Hopefully it doesn't get out of control, but as with all of these topics, they can get out of control really easily if the wrong people are in charge of them.
all of this has the the biohacking in general kind of brings up this paradox um that's called I'm, I might butcher the way you say this, but Theseus, the Theseus, Theseus's paradox. Uh, essentially, what it says is: imagine that you have a ship, and you individually take one by one, you take all these planks off of the ship, and then you replace them with new planks. At what point is that ship not the same ship? Is it when you re- when you replace every single portion of it? Is it when you replace half of it? You know, I don't really know. That's kind of the idea here, is it's a thought experiment. And that's what would happen, I think, with when biotechnology and biohacking becomes bigger, is at what point is that human still the same human and is not maybe a cyborg, cyborg version of themselves or something completely different? So that's one thing I like to think about when I'm thinking about biohacking. Um, but that's pretty much all I have for this time. I want to thank you guys again for watching. I have tons of things that I want to talk about in regards to Orphan Black. Um, genetic patenting, chimeras, brainwashing, homosexuality, the science of, or the psychology of cults, transgenderism, stem cell therapy, the list goes on and on. So, uh, but I'll wrap it up for now for today and we'll touch on those subjects again later. Remember, the premiere is tonight, so if you haven't watched it at all, just go ahead and pick it up, and then get back to the other four seasons later, because the premiere, I'm assuming, is going to be amazing, because the writing is great, and I just want to thank you guys again for taking your time to listen. Make sure you stop by the website, geekyvoyage.com, and we will see you next time on Geeky Science.